Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Faith here with a welcome toast. If you like to eat, drink, and be merry, you're in the right place. It was Luciano Pavarotti who said, The reason fat people are happy is that the nerves, they are well protected. Please feel free to consume this podcast of the show in one bite, two bites, or oops, I ate the whole thing. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, the place to have a good time. An exciting lineup for you on this show. We are going to celebrate cookies. We have a recipe for happiness. We have an amazing white wine to tell you about and a ginger earl gray hot toddy all of this coming your way my treasured food buddies are here senior contributor alex province longtime contributor nancy horn a new haven psychologist and abby dodge the cookie genius hey everybody hey hey, hey. hey. it's great to have you here all right i want to start with happiness uh, nancy horn let's talk about the connection between uh, happiness and and pleasure and food and drink. Well, I'm so thrilled to be on your show, Faith, because this show, more than any I know, cares about giving people pleasure and people experiencing pleasure. And I've started getting very interested in the positive psychology research and in recipes for happiness and how people can uh, live a happier, longer life. I've had people give me what would be just a, a medium, an okay wine, and I am so thrilled that they went to the trouble yes. to go out and get it and to pour it proudly in the glass, and I am so touched by it. Yes, and I think it's exciting for all of us to be able to have pleasure. And to some extent, it also connects with mindfulness, which is one of the things that leads people to be happier. Because if you're actually savoring what you were eating and drinking, you are in the moment, you're paying attention to what's happening, and you're also paying attention to your reaction. And that very much is a mindful way to behave. So I was curious because it seems like some of my older friends who, when we're having dinner parties together, overlook the fact that we overcooked the beef or something, and they see the joy of the dinner wasn't because everything was perfect, but because we're all together. And looking back, I sometimes am, am embarrassed thinking that I was upset that we overcooked. <laughs> like yes, your, va- your values <laughs> were not on straight. And it doesn't really matter. Yeah. The fun thing was that we were together having this wonderful time and not how perfect everything was. Abby Dodge. Yeah, you know something? The thing that I try in baking and, and cooking is to have people embrace that imperfect is the new perfect. And I feel like I almost ruined the dinner because my negativity was much worse than the overcooked roast. And I'm thinking, you know, now looking back, the point was I don't think I had the right to ruin other people's time over complaining about something. I should have just been happy about it. And looking back now, I know that. Yeah, actually, I'm trying to never say anything about my food as much as I'm totally invested in what I serve. (laughs) You know, if they ask me what's in it, but I try not to go, oh, this is horrible. Or, you know, I don't even say, do you like this? Although I'm really quite curious. I try to just keep my mouth shut and enjoy their company. Nancy, you've talked a lot about food fear, and I think everybody's fear about poison, about what's in the water, what's in the butter, what's in the oil, 
<laughs> I mean, we could just go on and on. It's not that these aren't concerns, but it taps into something in the primitive brain, I think, and you become so obsessed with it, absorbed by it, that the pleasure goes right out of things. Do you think that's true? Yes, I think so. People so, definitely get scared of foods. They're more scared of how things look than how it actually like, tastes. Like if you can get them to eat something, mm. they might like it. But when they look at it, they're worried. So this huh. is what they we got need worries. A, we need a dinner party with your eyes closed, it sounds like. That's, it should be. <laughs> right. There is a, a restaurant where the dinner is completely in the dark. Do you really? remember oh, seeing that? I no. heard it was, about that. Yes. It was in the New York Times. Yeah, You're I actually eating your that. napkin. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I made that dish. I think I might have told you, Faith, that dish, that lamb dish that had anchovies in it. And I mm. won't tell anybody what's in this lamb dish because they would not like it. And then when I serve it, it's the best roast lamb they ever had. Right. So. What's on that lamb again? You take a butterfly like <laughs> lamb, pleasure. and then you make a paste out of anchovies, garlic. What could be wrong with garlic in it? Yeah. Olive oil, and then herb de Provence, and you, salt, pepper. Yeah, anything that seems good. And you make this paste, and then you spread it all over the whole lamb, and then you roll the lamb up with the stuff inside. Mm. Oh. You cannot taste the anchovy, and it's the best oh, lamb roast you ever had. I am going to make I mean, that. They, people th- faint from it, seriously. That sounds like a lamb roast for people who don't like lamb. Nancy, I'm, I'm dying to hear what these seven conditions are for happiness, and we know certainly that whether you are taking in food and drink or offering food and drink and experiencing it in some way, whether it's in somebody's home, whether it is a gift for the holidays, no matter what it is, that is so connected to pleasure, you have to admit. So we're going to get to all of this in just a few minutes. I want to turn to you, Abby Dodge Cookie Genius, I call you, (laughs) because I have your cookbook here, and it is called The Everyday Baker recipes and techniques for foolproof baking and we were into the chapter that features cookies so we're dying to talk with you about cookies because we say that this is cookie season you know it is it's definitely definitely cookie season so of the cookies in this book what would you say is the greatest hit as a cookie Well, I think, and we can tie this right into pleasure, I think anything chocolate, Faith, there's a thumbprint cookie, a chocolate thumbprint cookie in the book that's like a shortbread cookie, butter and smooth and Mm. silk when you're eating it, and it's easy to make, which can make people happy too. You're talking about the bittersweet chocolate peppermint thumbprints that I have a star on. There you go. Uh. Yeah, and our senior producer, Robin Doyen Aiken, said, you have to include these, and my eyes popped when I saw this, bittersweet chocolate peppermint thumbprints. So this idea of a thumbprint cookie is a pretty standard dough. I don't make cookies, you know, except... Oh, this book will change your mind, Faith. You'll start making cookies. Yeah, I'm a little bit scared of those decorated cookies. But you walk people through this, and it's so fun. We have some of your recipes on our site, foodschmooze.org. We have Nancy Horn's techniques for cultivating happiness there. We have Alex Province's wine and Anthony Desario's hot toddy cocktail with ginger and Earl Grey tea. The bittersweet chocolate peppermint thumbprints, what's the secret to those? This is really just pressing down the center after you've... It is. It's child's play, really. You roll it in your hands, you make it nice and soft, and you stick your thumb in it. It's as simple and wonderful as that. Does that just flatten it? No, it just flattens into the center, so it makes a little well, Mm. so that after they bake, you can fill it with the chocolate peppermint ganache. Uh, I also give a variation for an easy caramel filling, too, which is divine with the chocolate. Oh, and and you put some little uh, candy cane chunks in there in the well of the... 
Once okay. once I fill with the ganache, I will crush up some of the peppermint cookies from our candy canes or whatnot, those little starlight mints, and just sprinkle them on top. It's visually very pretty. I always like to say that the eye is the first to feast. We were talking about that a little bit before. But it also adds a little extra texture and obviously a little extra peppermint flavor. And so. a crunch. Yeah, yeah. That, that texture is really wonderful. What kind of chocolate do you like to use? Well, when I'm developing recipes, I use Ghirardelli chocolate because I I kind of think of that as what most people can buy in the grocery store. But what I tell people to do is experiment with other kinds, whether it's a more bitter chocolate or a different flavored chocolate. You can definitely do that. Is there a gluten-free chocolate that you like? Mm, I haven't experimented much with those, but, you know, they're certainly available. Some of the Ghirardelli chocolate bars are uh, gluten-free. Oh, that's good to know. You can look those up online. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk with you about how to mail cookies because there are a lot of people who are making cookies or want to take them to people's houses as presents. Pack them up nice and tight in a Ziploc bag or if you want something a little fancier, find a little tin and then you can just bubble wrap, bubble wrap, bubble wrap Uh around the outside before you put it in the mailing box. I'm told that it's not a smart idea to just pile in a bunch of different cookies into the same container because certain ones, like putting onion in something, certain ones can contaminate other ones. So how do you separate them? Well, I am very particular when I'm packing different boxes. Let's just say I'm doing a ginger cookie and a biscotti and the shortbread. That gingerbread cookie or the ginger flavored cookie is the onion in that mix, Faith. It's the one that's going to permeate over. So what I'll do is I'll make sure that I double insulate whether or not I have them in um, Ziploc bags or in those pretty cellophane things if I'm looking for something more festive. And then in the box, I separate those individual packets of cookies and don't laugh, but with little mini marshmallows. It acts as an edible bubble wrap, but it also helps absorb, you know, and keep the flavor separated. Sounds kind of silly and a little bit childlike, but trust me, it works. That's brilliant, I think, as a, as a packing material oh, that, that you great. can eat. By the way, we have the bittersweet chocolate peppermint thumbprints. As we visit with cookie genius Abby Dodge, we have rosemary cornmeal shortbread. Now the hazelnut raspberry sandwich cookie wreaths. Yes. So this is a classic linzer flavored cookie. You know, it has all the spices that are just right and perfect for holiday time. It's a, a rolled out dough. I can hear people listening going, oh, that sounds kind of scary. One of my big tips I always tell people is to roll the dough right after you make it. Don't wrap it up in a little lump and chill it because that's defeating the purpose. Uh, Roll it out between parchment paper, then chill it really, really, really well after you've rolled it. And that's what's going to give you those nice clean cuts when you're using cookie cutters Mm. like we do in this Lidzer wreath cookie. And it will give us nice crisp edges so that they'll bake up really nice. The other beautiful thing about doing it that way is if for some reason something comes up, the phone rings, the dog needs to go out, you have to pick up a child, just slide it into the refrigerator, cover it with some plastic, slide it in. It makes it easy and relaxed, which I think is what baking really should be. Can you freeze all cookies? Pretty much. With the peppermint chocolate thumbprints I was mentioning, I would freeze those before 
you fill them. So Abby Dodge, Cookie Genius, I want to come back to you and talk about more cookies and your book. The ones we're discussing are in your your new cookbook called The Everyday Baker, Recipes and Techniques for Foolproof Baking. Back to you, Nancy Horn, on cultivating. This is a recipe for happiness because we decided since we were doing cookies and this beautiful wine from Alex and the Earl Grey hot toddy that we would have a celebration of happiness, of pleasure. It's the season for this. So what are the conditions for cultivating happiness? Okay. I'm going to list seven of them. And as I say them, I'll describe them. But be aware of how each one is related to eating and drinking and enjoying food. It's so interesting. The first one I would say is gratitude. So having gratitude is a key to happiness. I think if you look at what happens with food, we're grateful that someone cooked for us. We're grateful that we have food. We're grateful for the company. So that's a key thing. And there's an exercise that's really helpful for people, which is for three whole weeks, every day, you write down three things that went well that day. This is sort of like gratitude, but three things that went well. In addition to that, you write down why did that thing happen, especially what did you contribute to it. And you do it for three straight weeks. That's a great exercise. It's been shown to make people less depressed and make them happier in the season. What if if you (laughs) did not have a contribution to the the thing that went well? That's okay. That's okay. So there's no self-judgment. But for example, let's say that you appreciated the beauty of the sunset when you're driving home. Well, you didn't make the sunset, but you actually stopped being on autopilot Mm -hmm. and appreciated the sunset. So that was your contribution. Okay. Okay. So what's another exercise? Um, Another one is kindness. And of course, we do that when we're serving food, when we're appreciating food, appreciating the cook, there's kindness happening. And that contributes to happiness. They found that it's better to pick one day a week and do five kind things. It's more effective for happiness than doing one kind thing for five days in a row. So you pick one day a week, and you do five charitable, compassionate, altruistic, or kind things. And that contributes to happiness. I think we could all do one thing a day. It's not that hard, you know. Uh, My daughter makes me be very, very kind to people serving me my drive-in food. We went to the movie theater, and she said to me, we're in the line, she says, now, now what are you going to say to the guy who's selling you the ticket? And I've I've been trying to take a lesson from her, and I said, I'm going to say, hello, sir, How's your day going? She said, that's very good. Does it come off as natural? I, or? The, oh, oh, yeah. yeah no, you got to do it right. And I, I can't. I would normally just go up and say, you know, two adults for this movie. And that's totally unacceptable to my daughter. Every single person you see, you have to say, yep. how are you doing? Thank you so much. That's great. And she put her cell phone. To, she lives in L.A. And she was talking to me on the phone. She said, I'm, I'm coming up to the counter. I have to buy something. So I have to get off the phone. Well, the cashier heard her say that and said, thank you so much for doing that. People don't do that. I appreciate that so much. And she said, well, good. If you do something like that, it's pretty easy to do one of those a day. But if you have to do five, man, you got to. Isn't she fantastic? I think people think I'm darn charitable, honestly. I think I'm really nice to people. I'm from the originally from the Midwest. I mean, I've changed here now. My behavior is so bad, I probably couldn't even live in the Midwest. They probably would, <laughs> they would just kill me because I'm so antisocial. But my daughter, you she are just, not. Yeah, I mean, I think I thought I was really a pretty, you know, cheerful, friendly cheerful. kind of person. But my daughter, man, she she's we got can't go by homeless people in the city without talking to them. I mean, she has to be loving, and you have to be, extend yourself to every. Service person, every human. 
Oh, love her. So All right, kindness. give us another. What do you have? Okay, here's ordering. Another, here's another one. <laughs> two tickets, please. <laughs> no, and two tickets. Forget that, Alex. <laughs> okay, so, optimism. So having optimism, it leads to greater happiness, and a technique for developing that you can write down what's going to happen to you in the next five, ten years. But you have to do it like what you want to have happen. You've got to describe mm-hmm. your life, assuming all your dreams came true. So like, oh, now I'm married and I have two kids and I love my career and I'm finally, you know, getting to be an architect and I've got a business. And you were just manifesting your wishes. And you write that down. I mean, well, that, that sounds, sounds easy. fun. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and you do it and then you look at it every day for a little while. It makes sense because, of course, you have a much greater chance of having those things happen if you're – it's a lot like goal setting. But a sort of optimistic attitude – that's another mm, one. I love that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a short break. Do not go anywhere, please, because I don't want you to miss out on savoring this wine that Alex has found. This show is an ultimate celebration of pleasure in this season. We got Abby Dodge's cookies, more of those coming. Nancy Horn is giving us a recipe for cultivating happiness and pleasure in your life. More mouthwatering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution, key to happiness, to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. Okay, hope you enjoyed your first bite of the food schmooze with another bite on the way. So we're going to make this fast. You won't miss a drop of pleasure. If you sign up for our free show podcast once, then we'll send it to you automatically every week. It's a little like a hot biscuit with butter coming your way. Sign on at foodschmooze.org. And if you're new to our party, glad you're here. And you can listen to this show on WNPR every Thursday afternoon at 3 and Saturdays at noon just before you head out for adventure and food shopping at our website we feature my curated food wine and cocktail recommendations plus two-minute fun video lessons restaurants and more visit with us at foodschmooze.org here's your second bite Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'll be ready. We have a free podcast for you of this show, meaning you'll never miss a drop of pleasure. You just sign up for it once at our site, and then we'll automatically send you our show every week so you can listen on your schedule. And also discover our delicious curated food, wine, events, cocktail recommendations. We love talking with you, so stop by the site and say hi, visit with us. We're always online at foodschmooze, spell schmooze like school, S-C-H, foodschmooze.org. I'm with my treasured food buddy, Alex Province, who's a senior contributor 
Our senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken, and in the studio we have psychologist Nancy Horn giving us a recipe for happiness, how to cultivate happiness. We have a wine and the Earl Grey hot toddy with ginger coming up. We have cookie genius Abby Dodge. This is a celebration of pleasure here on the Food Schmooze, so can't wait to get to all of that with you. Your rosemary cornmeal shortbread, I'm told, is just killer good. (laughs) Well, again, it's one of those things that I like to do with sweets is that balance that line between savory and sweet, you know, so adding a little bit of rosemary flavor, not only is it very fragrant, but it adds just that little bit of intrigue or interest. Talk about pleasure. I've got to tell you all about this. Danielle Ballou, the French chef in New York who has a restaurant, Danielle, of course, he has created a holiday chocolate pate. And it is so unusual. I don't know how he does this. I tried to arrange a phone call with him and we weren't able to get him because he's going crazy right now. This is his big season. This pate is very dense. It's got pistachios in it and hazelnuts, a little bit of marshmallow, some dried fruit, crushed amaretti, It's coated in this chocolate glaze, and there's a gilded holly. This is the amazing thing. Abby, maybe you can help me figure this out. It requires no refrigeration. I went to the site, and it says that it can sit out for up to three weeks. (laughs) So I think, is this like a fruitcake? What in the world? (laughs) Really? Well, of course, you know, depending on what the ingredients are, but chocolate and sugar are two of nature's best preservers, in my opinion, of course. With things like that, you know, it probably doesn't have a lot of heavy cream in it, um, probably doesn't have a lot of butter or something like that. You know, people often say, you know, with chocolate cakes and things like that, how long can it be at room temperature? It's like, oh, gosh, you know, don't forget about that sugar preservative in there. That's fine, you know, unless Uh. it's a textural thing that it needs to be refrigerated, but normally it really doesn't. Okay, speaking of chocolate, Abby Dodge, what is going on with these chocolate crackles of yours? I was told that when you did this recipe for Fine Cooking Magazine, it remains one of their most searched recipes. Now, that's not in this particular book. That's just at Fine Cooking. But what's going on with that? (laughs) You know, I think that there's a synergy between chocolate and orange, that just explodes. It resonates with people. I mean, in the wine business, certainly, right, different flavors and different essences when paired together just create a whole lot of pleasure, I guess. So you think it's that combination that did it? I really do, because my kids, my family likes that cookie without the orange zest in it. But then people will say, gosh, it's just so plain. And the orange... And it's the zest. It's not the juice because that's where we know we get all those wonderful natural oils. So you could essentially take a chocolate cookie and put orange zest in it and achieve something similar. Yes. That flavor combination. Yes. It's a cookie hack. This is a cookie (laughs) hack. It's a cookie hack. So how would we hack a store-bought cookie dough? You actually could take a roll of store-bought chocolate cookie dough and hack it with orange zest. You could do that, or if it was that, you know, slice and bake chocolate one, mm-hmm. you could bake them, dip them in chocolate, and then sprinkle them with a little bit of orange zest, that glazed part. Not only do you have a really beautiful looking cookie, you have that chocolate orange flavor, and you have a little chocolate dipped covered part around it too. Really, that's what people were doing with chocolate chip cookies in a roll from the supermarket when they started pressing in M&Ms and whatever else they 
wanted to do. But it's endless what you can do. We, last Christmas, ended up with so many oranges from the decorations with their Victorian Christmas. So we ended up buying one of those Italian juicers. We had, I mean, just boxes and boxes of oranges. The most expensive juice on the planet. (laughs) So Matt took all the peel boiled it in water and Perfect. then uh, dries them in sugar. And we have containers in the refrigerator of, of these candied orange zest. Candied orange peel. It's funny. It's making, my, oh, it's making my mouth water. So I'm thinking take those, chop them up, and then put them on yeah. your melted chocolate. Put them on your melted chocolate. Add those oh. into mm. your basic sugar cookie dough that you've made from scratch. Add it into a chocolate cake. Homemade chopped candied orange peel. Sprinkle it on the top of your hot chocolate. Mm. Thinking of a cocktail. Yeah. Give them to Anthony. Okay. I'm hungry for more tips on happiness. Let's come back to that, and then we're going to get to wine. So, Nancy, let's come back to you were giving us steps to cultivate happiness. So this is a happiness recipe. And we left off with optimism, and you advised that we write a little paragraph or so describing life as if all of our dreams had come true and that we're now living that life. And what's next? Self-compassion. Self-compassion is essentially forgiving yourself for failings and appreciating yourself even if you're not perfect. Mm. So that's one. And then another one that's close to that, another key to happiness is forgiveness. I know you've all heard before that it's bad to carry around resentment and anger. It's not healthy, but they've actually shown it's really not healthy for you. So if you forgive someone because it's good for you to not carry around that kind of resentment. And then the last one is connection. They find out that people that are connected with other people live longer Makes people happier. That's where your daughter comes in. Her Her desire to connect with everyone. Yeah. I think she wants them to feel connected, actually. Like they are seen. Anyone who's been a waiter or has worked fast food or anything, you know, you can empathize. I just remember trying so hard at fast food and, and looking down and seeing a huge line of people and people upset that you're not quick enough or that you make a math mistake or something or being a server. And so it's now easy as for me now to empathize with people because I, I can just remember what it was like to be there. And so I try to make their lives happy the same way I would have or people that did for me back then. Yeah, that's great. I think of it this way. is It's like cutting a groove in your brain it's better to slip into that groove rather than some other grooves that I have worked up there. (laughs) Well, they've shown that you actually develop your brain. That's why you're happier, because these things actually change your brain. So making a conscious effort to include all seven every day of your life, for the most part, will create a new pattern and reset your brain. Right. Just that yeah. gratitude exercise. Yes. That makes a difference. There was a, um, a study when a college student took a picture of someone and then took a picture of someone after she told them they were beautiful. And the difference of the face of the person that was told they were beautiful is, is night and day. I mean, they're smiling. Their eyes are smiling. I wonder if it's similar being optimistic if you tell someone, you're such a happy person. There was the article in the Times just recently where the guy was talking about how you deal with really noxious people in the workplace. <laughs> what's and, that? Uh, yeah, he's, what's he's, that tip? <laughs> yeah, he said what you do is you compliment them. Authentically, right? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. And they get softer. It disarms them? Um, apparently, yeah. in some kind of way. Because a lot of that really nastiness that goes on, if you have a boss that's being that way, they're sort of being defensive or they're being protective of their position, they're feeling threatened, and you actually just say something nice to them. 
I mean, it seems crazy to me, but I think it's probably true. It probably really works. <laughs> Do you find yourself practicing any of these things on the list? I was doing the gratitude one. So, like in the morning? Well, or? I don't like being bossed around too much, so I don't like to do an exercise exactly the way I've been told to do it. So I was not writing them down at <laughs> You're night. You're a rule breaker. Yeah, yeah, well, I just don't like being bossed around. So at night, <laughs> so I thought, well, I don't really want to do it at nighttime. And... I also don't really want to write it down. So I was doing it at different times. And somebody else told me that they just picked a certain time of day. I had somebody, a very clever person, said, well, I do it in the shower. So and oh, yeah. then I know each day I'm taking a shower and I can think of my three things. And, uh, you know, just got to do it for three weeks. And so those three things were what went well. Yes, what went well. And what was my contribution to those things. And why did they happen? And so we have Nancy Horn's recipe for seven steps to cultivate happiness in your life at our website, foodschmooze.org. Alex Province is a wine broker, senior contributor on the show. Alex, this is such a delicious white wine. I'm going to tell you the truth. When you said, have a look at this, you brought this in. And I thought to myself, but it's $30. And I really wanted a $20 bottle of wine. It's a perfect gift wine. Or if you're going to someone's home for dinner. And we have a label shot of this wine because you're going to find it hard to pronounce. (laughs) So um, this is another happy reason that we do this thing with the label shots. So you can take your phone right to the wine store or read it over the phone before you get there so they can order it for you. So tell us about this. This is Kuyi Dutai. That's the maker of the wine, the vineyard. Right. And the fanciful name is Le Chanteau. And I looked that up and it means gusset. (laughs) So... Huh? (laughs) <laughs> hmm, like on a tarp. And it has a gorgeous, gorgeous <laughs> label with the gold. And it comes from a part of France called Chinon. And they grow it on pure chalk. So if you look down, it's just chalky limestone. And when they harvest, I think what makes it so fruity is they go up and down the aisles harvesting these grapes as they ripen. So instead of doing it all on one day, from one end to the other, they'll go through over a course of days or weeks just harvesting the ripe, ripe fruit. So when you taste it, it's so full-bodied for a white one that hasn't ever been in oak. It's full-bodied and voluptuous and ripe, and it's not sweet. It just fills your mouth. And has that beautiful acidity, so it's not like cloyingly sweet. You know, makes you pucker a little. Yeah, it's a little. So it's got that acidity, but there's also a floral quality to it. If you put it in your mouth, you can pick out different flavors and spices and perfume. It's it's complicated. And let's, let's talk about what food would be good with this wine. This is one of those whites where I would just be so delighted to sit around just having a glass of this without food. Just it's sipping that. I'll know, become uh, the Olivia Pope. I don't think she ever eats any food, does she? Has anyone ever seen Olivia Pope eat any food? (laughs) But she does drink wonderful wine, right? So I thought maybe that's what I should do. I should just sit on my couch and have an oversized glass of wine. In super designer clothes. (laughs) This is so funny. I get an online conversation started about this because I decided I'm going to really cut back on some calories here because this has been quite a stretch. And I thought, let's really get serious now because we're heading into a a pretty calorie dangerous time. So I said, one of the things is I'm going to have half the wine that I would normally drink and half the cocktails and try and uh, no sugar. And I went through the whole thing. I'm watching Scandal. And every minute, you're right. She is pouring a glass of the most right. gorgeous-looking red wine. And the next thing I know, a light <laughs> bulb goes off, and I think, I'm going to go get a glass of wine. Right. I maybe I should have that diet. 
<laughs> she looks pretty thin. She does. It's all so gorgeous. Gorgeous clothes. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing. It's gorgeous apartment. Yeah. We could go on. Well, I've had the best time talking with you about these cookies. So, so jump right in. Hey, if we're making Abby Dodge gingerbread cookies. Yes. Gingerbread men or women. Or people. Gingerbread people. <laughs> How do you keep the legs and the arms from breaking off? <laughs> from needing an orthopedic surgeon exactly. to repair them? Yeah. Um, two tips. One, don't roll the dough too thin. The minute you're rolling your dough too thin, that's just an accident waiting to happen. Whether or not it's in the cookie cutter and the arm or the little hand stays in the cookie cutter when you lift it out, or even after it's baked. If it's too thin, it's going to be very fragile. So keep it on the thicker size. I'm very specific about Mm -hmm. what that size is. It's probably close to a quarter of an inch thick. So it's a nice meaty cookie. The second thing, we talked about it a little earlier, keep that dough nice and cold. The firmer the dough is when you're punching out your cookies, the easier it will come out in one piece. And you get a sharper edge, right? Yes, you do. And it will bake up and be a sturdier cookie. I have an overall cookie criticism. This applies to (laughs) almost all cookies, with rare exceptions. I don't think bakers are putting enough salt in cookies. Oh, amen to that. Really? Yes. I, I think it's just me because I like... I, I like salt. I agree. Because they're cloying without the salt? or Yes. And, it, and they lack beautiful contrast with sugar is salt. I mean, I always say the best example of that is a vanilla dessert, whether or not it's a cookie or it's a cake. If you don't have the salt in there, you're losing all that vanilla nuance. The salt really elevates the flavor. So even like creme brulee or flan? You would add salt? Yep. And, you know, when we were talking about the cornmeal shortbread cookies, I finish those with a little dusting of fleur de sel or Meldon salt or something like that because it just elevates it. It just takes that flavor up a notch. Next time you're making chocolate chip cookies from scratch, before you put them in the oven, sprinkle a little of the sea salt on top. Unbelievable. Do you have a recipe for me? Yes, yes I do. That's my favorite cookie. Yes, I do. That's a great tip. That applies across the board in my cookie book. Do Um, people like nuts in their chocolate chip cookies as much as without nuts? Well, I am a purist. I go with chocolate. No nuts. But how about what your online followers tell you? I think that that's about a 50-50. And the nut is, you know, which nut is a whole other conversation. You know, there's the pecan group or the walnut group. Personally, I adore, especially this time of year, macadamia nuts. Chopped, too. Yeah. Coarsely chopped. And I do that with the chocolate, too. Make sure those chunks are nice and big and rough so that you're really getting a biteful. I love that you said that because there's a woman in my children's past who makes the best chocolate chip cookies. And she doesn't give out the recipe, but I bet you that's what she does. I bet she puts a little salt on at the end. Yeah. Can you imagine what it was like when the first roll of pre-made cookie dough came out in a market? What must people have thought of that? Up to that point, everybody was making their own cookies. And clearly homemade, you just can't beat it. But what did people think? I think just like with any of all of that, the advent of store-bought, pre-prepared food, it was like a miracle. You know, you don't have to spend time in the kitchen making cookies. You just have to slice and bake. I think it was Laura Shapiro who did that food history, and I learned so much from her book. And she describes this period where the industry, the the corporate food industry, decided this is what was going to happen after the war. And they invested in a fortune. 
and with all this machinery and started producing these boxes of things on shelves. And uh, homemakers said no because they felt guilty. They felt like they weren't really making something. And so the food industry sent the psychologists out, understood it, sent the stuff back out again on the store shelves with the homemaker required to do a minimum of two steps. So if the homemaker added eggs and milk, it felt to mostly her that she had made it. And then they started selling like crazy, and it's... There's really a whole generation of people who think that that is baking from scratch. Yeah, like a birthday cake. Yes, they they, well, I made it from scratch because I added an egg and a quarter cup of oil and a half a cup of milk. And you had to clean up afterwards. Yeah, it's fascinating. I love the stuff that comes uh, like in the container that you peel the paper away and then you turn it and it pops. Yeah, the poppin' fresh. (laughs) like the best part. (laughs) See, now those can be hacked and turned into something. Sure. We saw a Christmas wreath or something. Out of one. <laughs> Take a break. I'm having the best time with all of you. Please support your local food growers and food makers for on demand podcast delivery of this show, The Food Schmooze Party, every week. And to find terrific food, wine, cocktails, restaurants, hot topics, our short fun, streaming videos, and recipes we feature, we're always online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. mouth-watering bite of the food schmooze. Are you ready? Here's something great to know about. Sign up for the app called NPR One. Just download it from the iPhone App Store or your local Android device. And once you do, you can set WNPR as your local station. Couldn't be easier. Download the free app NPR One and start listening. Let's party on. More food schmooze.
This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, and the Hamptons. Senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. And to hear the show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online at Food Schmooze, S-C-H, like school, foodschmooze.org. Talk with us on Facebook, too. Search Faith Middleton. I am with Alex Province and New Haven psychologist Nancy Horn, cookie genius Abby Dodge, who is author of The Everyday Baker, her newest book. And what is your slogan? Baking the world a better place. Baking the world a better place, one recipe at a time. That's just the best. <laughs> I love that. All right, let's do the cocktail. This is Anthony mm. DeSario, Connecticut bartender, contributor here on the show. We said to him, we're having cookies. We're talking about happiness with Nancy Horn. Alex has got this one. What can you do for us in terms of cocktails? Hot toddy, he said. So he's created one that is so delicious. I had this last night. I made this for myself. It is a cozy Earl Grey ginger hot toddy. And so I'm interested. First of all, the hot toddy Mm. is such a great thing, isn't it? I love it. I get in a mood sometimes where I want hot toddy. And I asked my husband, I said, would you make me a hot toddy? And he just like... He says, sure. And, you know, if I ask him to do things, he doesn't always say sure. (laughs) And I don't even know what he puts in. I mean, I think they're different all the time, but they're always delicious. I didn't have every single thing that Anthony recommended last night, but I did my best with it. And it's just so warming as it goes down. You know, oh, my goodness. Yeah, those flavors. I'm a a big tea drinker, so you say Mm. Earl Grey and you have me at Earl Grey. Just sounds right up my alley. Wait till you hear the ingredients in this. Mm. We're going to talk about some liqueurs. When I mention these, these are worth getting because they are wonderful before dinner and after dinner drinks. So you will use up these. We don't like to on the food schmooze have you go out and buy 20 bottles of something to make a particular drink because the one drink is exquisite and you're never going to use those things again or rarely. And the next thing you know, the drink turns out to be a $100 drink. These are things you will love to have around and sip. So here's the recipe. You begin by steeping a pot of Earl Grey tea. And I imagine that can be looser in tea bags. doesn't really matter. And then in that pot, while it's steeping, you put in a couple slices of fresh ginger that you've peeled. It's very important that it's fresh. So go to the grocery store, buy the root, peel it, and slice it. Yeah, go like a quarter inch thick. So the size of a quarter okay. would be perfect, or a nickel. And then a little bit of blended scotch. And Anthony tells you he has wonderful taste about the ones that he chooses. And so he tells you which one he likes. But here's the tricky part. Here's where you think, Really? He suggests using an Italian liqueur called Amaro. A beautiful bottle. I Googled it. It's pretty. It's, yeah. it's one of those herbal liqueurs that the Italians like and they have after dinner. Digested. But uh, this is another tricky part, Lillet Blanc. Mm. Yeah. Lillet is a fortified wine. It's like a sweetened yep. wine. I love it, especially in the summer on the rocks before dinner. It's just a wonderful cocktail to have. It's, it's not too crazy alcohol. It's lovely floral kind of thing. So that's just fun to drink and have around. So you put a little bit of that in. You just add all those things into the teapot and pour it into your mug and then stick in a cinnamon stick. And you have a cozy Earl Grey ginger hot toddy. 
perfect with cookies. Mm. Abby, what cookie would you pair with this? The cornmeal shortbread. Well, you're Alex. thinking of Scotland, right? Yes. <laughs> and and also, you know, with the hint of the rosemary in there mm. and how that would pair with the ginger and, you know, those savory notes, the ginger and the Earl Grey. Boy, that just sounds really good. If you don't like Earl Grey, I'm sure you could use a different herb tea. You're yeah. making me think that I could make a hot toddy with my favorite herbal tea, the uh, Bengal that? spice. Oh, I was just thinking that. I love that Bengal spice. It's, it's phenomenal. Nancy. It's my favorite mm. one. I really like it. The Celestial Seasonings makes it, and it's and called is, Bengal spice. Is it smoky? Does it have a... It's a very hearty... It has a lot of different tastes in it. And I can't have any coffee or tea, and so I'm a sad person. And Bengal spice is the only thing that cheers me up about it. Cause that everything... needs to go on your list. <laughs> no, <laughs> Bengal spice. Actually, I, the ones I gave all were research. The positive psychologists have actually done lots of studies to show mm. these things are true. And I don't think Bengal spice has been proven to be something that leads to happiness. Although study, maybe they I'd haven't, like like maybe they haven't done the study on it. Let's do that study. <laughs> Let's think of – now, sorry, Anthony's not here, but Bengal spice is like a child. It yeah. has the cloves and the cinnamon star anise, and right? star anise, things like that. So what alcohol would we want if we're making an alcohol-based hot toddy? Rum would work, yeah. I think. Spice rum. Mm. Bourbon would work. Bourbon would be delicious. Oh, that's true. I bet that would be really good. Would you ever put a little apple cider in there? In the bourbon? Just, yeah, mm. just a hint. And the Bengal spice. And the Bengal, the Bengal spice. spice. Just good. Just a little apple fruity note. Mm-hmm. Now, see, but don't people put butter on the top of hot toddies? Yeah. Hot butter. My husband always hot, hot buttered, buttered rum. rum. Yeah. Hot buttered rum. Oh. We could yeah, add butter like to that. it anyway. No, I don't know. <laughs> hey, you're talking to a baker here. Now I want to go home and try some different concoctions. Yeah. I'd like to try one with chai, which is like your Bengal spice. Yeah. There are so many, I think, spirits that would work with this. So I bet his ratio works, the way he's taking a pot of water and steeping something in it, and then if you took it from there and then incorporated the rest of his recipe, it would work. He's essentially putting half shots of things into this hot toddy, whether it is the Lillet or the Amaro, everything is a half shot to serve one. Yeah. And the idea that it's hot, so this is, in Scotland, you would drink if you had a sore throat or a cold coming on, right? Medicinal purposes. Medicinal purposes. Air Mm -hmm. quotes around medicinal purposes. I swear that it does make me feel better when I really have a bad... It clears you up. When I'm in France and in Italy, I see people stopping at around three or four in the afternoon to have a little piece of something. Usually it's something sweet. And I see them drinking a little aperitif or a glass of wine. At like 4 o'clock or 4.30? Yeah, in the cafes. Mm. And I think, well, that's an interesting tradition. I could no more have a piece of cake two hours before dinner than the man on the moon. I mean, it just seems kind of wild to me. Not that it's not fun, but I just wouldn't do it. But it, it seems part of the tradition. And I'm thinking, why wouldn't they have a hot toddy? In the late afternoon when it starts to be winter and fall, why wouldn't you do that? With the cake. Yes, with the cake. Wouldn't that be delicious? But when they have tea in England, for example, they have cake at tea time, but then they don't eat dinner. Or they don't eat dinner until 10 p.m. Well, they just don't have that much, right? Yeah. For that meal. My aunt and uncle play the bagpipes in Galicia in the northwest of Spain. So we would uh, go to these small villages, some of which they still harvest potatoes with wooden carts that are pulled by oxen. And even the axles are made out of wood. So the carts sort of sing as you go through and they're up in the mountains. They play these traditional bagpipe music that these Celtic Spaniards 
you know, remember from eons ago. And they'll always come out and give you cake and cake and honey and coffee. And then they also do little chapitos and all the gallegos. They take a spirit and then infuse it with orange and clove and different things. And they'll have a whole cabinet and you open it up and they'll have all these jars of infused stuff. They'll give you a little shot glass and a piece of cake. And that's the same sort of idea in the afternoon. Oh, wow. Isn't a lovely tradition? Wow. And then after they serve dinner, they do the chupito. That's the same medicinal thing. And on St. Bart's, they use uh, the rumbanil. So after every dinner, after all mm-hmm. this wine, they infuse. And it's easy to do. They'll take dark rum and just put really beautiful vanilla, mm-hmm. let it steep. And then after dinner, they'll give you this little glass of rumbanil. And if you're lucky, they'll leave the bottle at the table. <laughs> <laughs> you're only supposed to have one. There's a restaurant in Aruba, Italian restaurant. They had an incredible puttanesca. But we went there really for the end of the meal because mm. he would serve a tiny shot glass to each person with hot frangelico topped with whipped cream, a half inch of whipped cream. Mm. And so you would just drink the warm frangelico, the hazelnut Oof. liqueur, through the whipped cream after your dessert or if um. you didn't have dessert. So amazing. If I had a restaurant, I'd be doing that. I don't know why I don't do that at home. Are you just given one? Yes, just one. <laughs> well, we're almost out of time here on the Food Schmooze Party. And thank you, by the way, Alex Province and Nancy Horn, psychologist in New Haven and cookie genius, Abby Dodge, who is author of The Everyday Baker. Has anybody received a homemade holiday gift from someone, a food or drink item that was memorable? Well, Faith, I put it on my Christmas list. For my broke uh, young adult children, I always try and find things that don't cost any money. I put on my Christmas list that I want somebody to bake candy with me all day. Mm. Well, what do you make? Well, I'm going to make a caramel, and I'm going to make fudge, yeah. and pull taffy if I could figure out how to not get my hands burned to death. Hopefully, they'll come up with something. Don't well, you need the machine that, like, stretches it? No, you can do it with your hands, you can, but it's just, you got to so use a lot of butter. It's kind of painful. There are rubber gloves. Um, oh, the silicone oh, gloves. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I've got those. Okay, great. Yes. Maybe, oh, that's such a great idea. Yep. Maybe I can make pull taffy, which I love. It's still going to be hot. But it's so painful. It's still going to be hot. But, but, but that's right. They've yeah. got those things, and it won't stick to it. Brilliant. Oh, I'm so just glad I was here. Just envision this kitchen filled with hot taffy. Oh, I can't wait. Because <laughs> it's so good. You're flying. Matt's parents make the best Christmas cookie. They're like gingerbread, but it's a white dough, like a traditional Christmas cookie. And then they decorate each one. Okay. These are the most delicate, beautiful cookies. So Matt's mom and dad will spend all day, if they're in our kitchen visiting, wherever they go, they come with their Christmas cookie stuff. And they're the cookies that are so beautiful, you're afraid to sort of eat them. And then very uh, good visiting in-laws. Come with your cookie paraphernalia. Yeah. Come well, yeah. Actually, I'm intrigued. Is it just a vanilla cookie? Does it have a spice? It or? looks like a um, a sugar cookie. They, Does it um, taste like a butter cookie? Yeah, they're just one of those things that you remember that someone makes so 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 well. It's the best Christmas cookie I've ever had. Icing on them. They, so? They'll carefully decorate each one, and then you know. And so Abby, I, what is that? That's royal icing. That's royal icing, and you know something? That's a wonderful gift that they bring to you. That's that's you can't buy it. You can't buy it. And there's a recipe in the book for the royal icing and the sugar cookie, probably very similar to what you're talking about. Doing something like that makes an excellent party. If you've ever done that, we've done it on occasion where it's just fun. Yeah. Lots of different, you know, colors and sprinkles and glitter. You know, again, nothing has to be perfect, but it makes for a really fun event. And you're right. They're supposed to be eaten. They're really beautiful. 
but they're supposed to be eaten. That would be fun. A cookie mm. making party yeah. and hot toddies. Exactly. Oh, wait, last time we had a cookie making party at our house, we had a flower fight afterwards. It was a real funniest, one? Yeah, a real, real one. My kids were younger. It was actually worth cleaning it up. It was very fun. I think it's those moments, those abandoned moments. Yeah, at the end are, of the cooking. Yeah. And Were you finding just, flour like in the springtime? It Probably. contained <laughs> itself to the kitchen at mm. least. And I think we all cleaned it up, but it was hilarious. It's really funny. Thing. That's really fun. <laughs> well, thank you all. We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3, Saturdays at noon, weekdays. Here are my 60-second food schmoozes. Join the conversation with us. We're always up for a good time. Online at foodschmooze.org. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Everybody eats when they come to As you can tell, this is the place to have a good time. The gang and I hope you'll come back. We also love talking with you online, where we offer my curated take on the richness of life. Food, wine, easy cocktails, restaurants, plus our free weekly show podcast. Sign up for it. We deliver, and we're always open at foodschmooze.org. How do you spell schmooze? S-C-H like school. Foodschmooze.org. I'm Faith Middleton. You can search it by my name, too. Cheers.